well today. Uh, appreciate you joining with us. So like I said earlier, um, we on to the next one there? It's not working for me. There we are. If we're to care for each other, how do we do it? Now this has been a, a theme that we've had in the life of the church every year, underlying theme, following Jesus, caring for each other, impacting the world. How do we care for each other? And so I was uh, thinking of some of the things that have, been, have happened in my life over the years where people have cared for me and where I've been able to care for somebody else. I want to share with you some of those this morning. But first of all, I want to uh, take you to a subject. Look at that, state of origin. Um, I want to tell you a story about the state of origin. When we were at Mount Isa Baptist, and some of you may have heard this before, uh, the men in the church used to have uh, state of origin nights on the big screen because nobody had big screens at home in those days. So we used to come to the church and we'd have a state of origin night, football night at the church. And if you know me, I'm not a footballer. Now, I have played football in the past. I've played basketball and volleyball and all those sort of things, but definitely not a follower of football. But I used to love going to those nights because there was one guy, his name was Pastor Jerry. He was the associate pastor with me at the church. And I went to watch him and how he reacted to the game. <coughs> Nobody sat next to Jerry because uh, his surname was Comino and he was um, very expressive in his... Uh, in his uh, Enthusiasm, yeah. And so nobody sat next to him because arms and legs were going in all directions when he was either applauding the, uh, the play or complaining against the referee, one of the two. But, um, but it was so fun watching him. And that's what I went to there, there for. But every now and then, something grabbed me about the game. It could have been a uh, last second goal so that Queensland might win or something like that, you know. And... Uh, and the whole place was erupting because most of them in Mount Isa in those days were Queenslanders. And, and so you're, you're, my, my um, focus was on the screen and on the game. And then they'd replay that last few seconds, you know, so that last play was replayed over and over again so that nobody missed it. But, you know, often I used to think, this is just a game. It's just a game. It doesn't have any eternal consequences for those people that are playing it that are a part of it. For those people that are watching it, there's no eternal consequences. It was fun in the moment. Certainly for me, watching Jerry was fun in the moment. But sometimes people treat Christianity like that too. Fun in the moment without thinking of the eternal consequences. And I believe that as if we took our faith in Jesus in the life of the church as seriously as some people take their sports, then I think we'd see major things happening in the life of the church, especially in the area of caring for each other. Because we are called to be teammates, we're called to be family, we're called to be members of the one body of Christ and we're called to love one another, care for one another, support one another. And if we were doing that with the same enthusiasm that I see some football, some people watching football or other sports, then I think we'd see amazing results in the life of our church. I want, to turn, I want you to turn and read with me to 1 Corinthians 12, if you have them in your Bible. They'll be up on the screen. But this passage I want to use as a kick-off. Kick-off, get the pun? No, anyhow. Uh, for the message uh, this morning to get us thinking about how do we care for each other. And uh, I think Paul gives us some great 
encouragement here. Reading from verse 18 of chapter 12, and this is what Paul says. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And don't forget he's using the illustration here of we are all members of the body of Christ. Verse 19. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts for one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Who's ever experienced that? The one person suffering and the rest of the body or the church not only suffers with them but supports them while they're suffering or that one part of the body is excited and happy and thrilled and and, uh, and, and the rest of the church is, is in there supporting them in that joy. I've certainly experienced it over the years in many different places. What we, who attend Atherton and Tablelands Baptist Church, need to exhibit to the world is this love that God has first shown us to the point where people would know we're Christians because we love one another. Paul writes about that in another part of his letter. We love one another because we are followers of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he said this, and the parts, verse 24, uh, 23, 24, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. One other translation says about verse 25 there, This makes harmony for the members. Rather than no division, this creates harmony for the members so that all the members care for each other. I like that. That's what should be happening in the life of the church. You see, the church is a strange creature, don't you think? The church can be described as a strange creature. It's made up of a lot of each others. And the Bible has many, many verses relating to each other. And it's not, a simp- it's not simple to understand. It's not simple to show love to the each others. It's, it's got a multitude of heads, look around here, plus others that aren't here today. It's got a multitude of heads that people think with, a multitude of hearts that people love with. And I believe this morning, if we look at some of the each others in the scriptures, then we'll know how God wants us to care for each other. And some of these might be familiar to you, some of them might be new. But let's see what God says to us this morning. And the first one is uh, Romans 12 verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. So the first thing, if we want to really care for each other, we need to honour each other. How do we do that? You see, in Christianity there's more than just you. There's more than just me. And, And there's more than just your family. In Christianity, it's more than that. 
It's a loyalty to Christ first and a loyalty to his church, his body. It goes even deeper, I believe, than the conviction you have and the loyalty that you show towards your family. Because remember what Jesus said? He, He said some fairly strong words about this in Luke chapter 12, verse 53, talking about believers. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. But you might say, Pastor John, that's pretty tough. If that's what Jesus knew was going to happen, that's pretty tough. But in reality, that's life. Families have problems and sadly, some of those problems are because people believe in Jesus. We know that in any given family there's family rivalry. Rivalry. There might be a, one sibling against another sibling. Certainly that happened in the scriptures right at the beginning. That family rivalry ended up in the death of one brother. I wonder where our loyalties lie. Do our loyalties lie to God's family and the body of Christ? Even beyond what we feel about our own families? I wonder how devoted are you to each other in this family? So the first thing, that we need to do is to honour each other if we want to care for each other. Romans 12, 16 says, as that New New Living Translation says, live in harmony with one another or or, uh, NIV and others say, don't let there be any divisions in the body. How do we live in harmony with each other? I think we need to know really early in the piece that harmony means unity, not uniformity. There's a big difference, isn't there? You see, we won't always agree on what's important. There are times that uh, I even struggle to agree with myself. One day I think this way, another day I think this way and they don't agree and I struggle with that. But what's important is how we handle those disagreements. There are times we need to agree with others and there are times we need to disagree with others. We often talk about consensus. It doesn't mean that everybody thinks the same way, but it does mean that everybody gets the opportunity to express his or her opinion if they want. The thing that I marvel at times about churches is that we, we, we have some arguments of some of the, over some of the silliest and stupidest things that I've ever thought of. We disagree about things that nine times out of ten we won't remember next week and probably won't remember next year. And I think it's important that if we need to live in harmony with each other, then we need to know how to disagree, as I said a few weeks ago, without being disagreeable. One situation I found myself in was in a church that had arguments over the style of music. That's never happened here, has it? Nah. And it was interesting, I read a a comment uh, that throughout the church's history, each generation has found that the musical tastes of the next generation are unacceptable to them and has, as a result has declared that new generation's music tastes unspiritual. And yet that's not the way it is. When God, God's spirit blesses a song, when he inspires a, a person to write a song that is biblically and theologically correct, then how can we condemn that? Um, I remember saying to somebody uh, at this church, when they first started coming. Oh, I don't like the style of music. And uh, I said, oh, what about the words of the songs? Yeah, the words are great, 
I said, okay, put your fingers in your ears and just read the words. And uh, only about two weeks later they came up to me and they said, I really like those songs. <laughs> so we may not live in agreement in families and, and certainly in the church family, but I think we need to learn to live in harmony. Harmony, unity without being uniform, uniform in the way we do things. Romans uh, 14 and verse 13 says, Let's stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. The third thing on how we can care for each other is don't condemn each other. Don't condemn each other. In the church in Rome, that's who Paul was writing to in 1 Corinthians, they had some fairly serious issues. They were quick to judge each other. They were quick to condemn each other on certain issues. Some people were celebrating the Sabbath on the Sabbath day, which is Saturday. Other people had gone in the direction of celebrating uh, what they call the Lord's Day, which is on a Sunday. And there was this disagreement. And Paul wrote to address that. He wrote to address some people were confused about the, the eat, eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols, whereas others had no problem with eating meat sacrificed to idols. Yeah, these things aren't so much of an issue today. They're still around, but they're not so much of an issue. I had an uncle who would uh, nev- never eat in a restaurant that served alcohol. So he didn't go out much. Yeah. But other people have no problem with that. I remember in my, the first church I was a pastor of, uh, one of the guys in the church was a uh, uh, maritime engineer on a, on a ship. And so uh, a lot of his mates used to go to the pub for a drink. He didn't drink alcohol and I didn't drink alcohol. But we went to the pub and we had our Coke or soda squash or whatever. And two weeks later I got hauled over the coals by the then leaders of the church Pastors shouldn't be seen drinking in pubs. Oh, really? So where did Jesus meet people? Anyhow, so some people have some disagreements on those things. I've decided when it comes to those sort of issues, and there's lots of them out there, that I would rather win people than win arguments. I would rather maintain relationships than say, I won that argument. But there are issues that do need to be addressed in the lives of churches and there are some fairly serious issues. The Bible lists them off. Adultery, um, stealing, drunkenness, premarital sex. There are a lot of those things that need to be addressed if, we're, if they're discovered in the life of the church. I remember reading this illustration. Somebody said, but pastor, you say somebody has to keep tabs on these people. I know, the pastor said. And you say somebody has to be the conscience of the church. I know that too, the pastor said. And somebody has to speak to people about what they're doing and how they're acting. The pastor said, I couldn't agree more. Great, you say. I'll do it, this person says. But the pastor replied, sorry, the job's already been taken. The Holy Spirit is in charge of convicting people of their sin and their disobedience, not us. We need to be careful not to condemn each other if we're to really care for each other. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth in love when we have the opportunity to do that. Romans 15 and verse 7 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So we need to accept each other. What's and all in some cases? Can I ask you a question? Sure I can. I'm, I'm the one preaching this morning, so I can ask you a question. 
what requirements did you have to fulfil in order for Christ to accept you? Can you list them off? Did, did you have to be handsome? Oop, strike that one off here on my list. Um, did you have to be pleasant? As far as the personality goes, did you have to be smart or outgoing or charming or holy? Did you have to have money? What do you think the answer is to that? No, none of the above. You had to be repentant. You had to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. That's how he accepted you. How do we accept each other? James has something to say on this. In James uh, chapter 2, he said this, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man comes in shabby clothes, or shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We'd never be guilty of doing that, would we? Sadly, I've been in some churches where that has happened and not been proud of it either. Do people feel accepted when they come into this building and and meet with us, whether we're in the building or outside the building? doesn't matter what you wear, what hairstyle you have, what language you speak. We need to accept others in Christ as brothers and sisters if they give the testimony to that. Do we care for each other that way? Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. A fifth thing, and there's eight, so we're going to skip through these fairly quickly. A fifth thing is to teach each other. Romans 15 verse 14 says, I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well, you can teach each other all about them. What are we doing Are we willing to teach? First of all, are we willing to learn from Christ? And then secondly, are we willing to teach what we've learned about Christ or from Christ to others who are willing to listen? There's no one person in this church that has a monopoly on knowledge. You'll often ask me a question and I'll respond with, I don't know, but I'll find out for you. We all are learners, perpetual learners we should be. The group in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the new believers, they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to learn about what Jesus had told them. And I wonder if we take it seriously that people who have been longer in the faith, and I'm not necessarily talking about older people, but people who have known Jesus longer, our responsibility is to be there for uh, people who have just come to faith in Christ. I wonder if we're willing to teach one another, teach each other and care for each other in that way. It's a little bit scary because there's a responsibility there that we are teaching the truth. And uh, in Paul, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, he says, as far as teaching each other goes, we need to be prepared to teach and serve each other. Galatians 5 verse 13, 14 says, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. 
So if we're caring for each other, we're teaching each other, we're, uh, we need to be serving each other as well. Which is really hard in our society because our society tends to be a me first society, doesn't it? Well, the advertising, it's all about you or it's me. And yet Christ tells us that we are to serve one another. Do we serve out of sympathy, out of obligation or guilt? No. The Word of God says that we are to serve out of love, out of care for each other. Jesus sent his son to be to serve, not to be served, the Bible tells us. We need to copy that in our lives. And it's not new teaching. Solomon in Ecclesiastes says that in serving one another, that two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Isn't that great? One person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. So the, the teaching is already there. Jesus is just reaffirming it. Paul's just reaffirming it. That to love each other, to care for each other, we need to serve each other. What did Jesus say in John chapter 15 to his disciples? I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. He was there to serve them. We can serve each other in various ways. Again, on the first church that I was in on Magnetic Island, for the first two years, there was some difficulties in the, in the leadership of the church. And the only thing that saved us, saved me as a pastor and Cheryl supporting me, from, from not being in ministry today, was some close friends, that, friends that were pastors of the church in Townsville. They were there for us at a difficult time. And I'm sure that we've all had that experience. They were there to serve us and care for us. We need to be there for one another. Not just to complain about our burdens, but to share and discuss our burdens so that people might care for us. It's, it's often hard when we grow up in a um, uh, self-made man society to, to help, accept that help from others. Paul talks about our, our Christian life as a race, that it's difficult, it's a different kind of race. When a runner in the Olympics falls over, that's a bit tough for some. But Paul says our responsibility is to help that person to finish the race, to allow others to help us finish the race. How can we care for each other? 1 Thessalonians says this, encourage one another with these words. And Paul had just been writing about the return of Jesus. Encourage one another to be ready, to be watching, to be waiting. So in reality, if we are to care for each other, we should be encouraging one another. This goes hand in hand with bearing one another's burdens. This goes hand in hand with grieving with one another, with rejoicing with one another. And probably the hardest thing that I've heard many people say when they're, trying, when they're aware of a family member or someone in the church that's grieving, they'll say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to bring encouragement into the situation. The Bible has got some good suggestions on that. In uh, Matthew chapter 5, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. So sometimes we don't have to say anything. We just have to be there and cry with the person or listen to them. But at other times we need to, do need to take some action and, and Paul writes this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and, mis- and slander 
as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We have to extend to our brothers and sisters in Christ those same courtesies, the same attitudes that we would extend to a total stranger if they were in need. I wonder, are you prepared to encourage people? Not find solutions to their problems, that's not what encouragement is about. It's more about being there for them, being compassionate to one another. It might mean giving up some things. It certainly might mean giving up time to spend time with them to make life a little bit easier for them. Paul says that in Romans 12 verse 10, he says this, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. The um, New King James Version translates this way and I like it. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honour giving preference to one another. In other words, the person that you're seeking to care for should become more important in your mind than you are. That's really what it means to care for somebody else. We're not to grumble about others, not to speak evil against others. We're to be there for them. If we do that, we're told that we'll be judged if we speak evil against others. The tongue is a powerful uh, media. It can build up or tear down, James tells us. We need to be there for others. And Solomon in in Proverbs says this, Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you'll stay out of trouble. Does anybody need to take that on board today? I think so. I do. So, in encouraging one another, I wonder how many of us have thanked people that make this church happen. Now, I'm not promoting the leadership here. I'm saying, what about the people who uh, lead the worship or people who play or people who make the coffee or make the morning tea or people who welcome folk at the door and let's say the leadership team as well. But how many have said thank you? Not that we're looking for it but it's a great means of encouragement. And by the way, people do. I get a text or a, a, an email or a phone call often during the week to, by people saying how much they've appreciated what God's doing through the life of our church. In Colossians 3 verse 13 we're told that we need to forgive each other. We need to make allowances for each other. We need to be there for each other even when people do the wrong thing. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of a previous century said, when you bury a mad dog, don't leave its tail above the ground. So if there's something that somebody has against you, put it to rest and make sure it's it's well buried. And you can do that by loving one another and we'll prove to the world that we are disciples of Christ. That's a tall order, isn't it? All those things. And yet when we walk with the Lord, we're not doing it on our own. God's Spirit's in us, reminding us of these truths. And I think we need to learn how to listen for that check in our spirit when, when we're going outside what God wants us to do as we care for each other. Let's pray. Father, we